0: Home improvement has never been this much fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this hour of today's Homeowner Radio. Merry Christmas from all of us to your whole family and friends. Hope you're having a fantastic Christmas season and relaxed and enjoying. Don't worry about those home improvements. They'll be there on the other side of Christmas. Don't worry about them right now. Just enjoy yourself because we've got a lot of information that we're going to share with you. During this hour, we're going to talk about how to correct a 70-year-old door that's starting to sag a little bit. You know it's built well. Something's going on. We're going to help a homeowner out with that. Also tips on removing ceramic tile. It can be a tremendous project, but there are some tools out there that can make it a little easier. Also some screen curtain options, how you can really screen off a very large area easier than you might think. A lot of emails available this week. We're going to share with you those. A lot of them maybe are things that you're thinking about around your house. And of course, my co-host Joe Truini always has a great simple solution for us. Joe, what can we expect in a little bit.
1: I've got a quick tip on how to, um, when you need to cut a machine bolt to length, you know, like talking like a carriage bolt or something like that, um, how to be able to get the nut back on. Because sometimes if you cut it, you can't get the nut on. So I have a trick on how to make sure that you recut those threads so you can use it again.
0: You know, Joe and I have been working together for many, many years. I've known Joe for 25 years. We've yep. done radio together for many, many years. And uh, actually, uh, we're right at 750 radio shows and only wow. one more to go. This is one our next more. to last show. And uh, next week, we're going to have a lot of fun doing a little reminiscing, a little laughing. There will be no tears. It'll be just a really fun time. And what a great time of the year it is with looking forward to a brand new year and certainly a brand new chapter in uh, in our lives. It should be a very, very interesting show and hope you'll be able to join us with that. Joe, we did get a lot of calls that came in on the Today's Homeowner Hotline. Great. great jump over there and see just how many calls we can take on this week's show.
1: Yes, sir. I'm looking for a product that I can feel an outside deck. I've looked and looked and looked. I'm looking for something a little heavier than the water sealers they have out there to end up having to use every single year. Specifically, I need something that I can spray on. I'm not physically able to get down on my hands and knees and use a brush anymore. Any information,
0: I'd appreciate it. Well, I'm certainly more than happy to share my opinion on that. And this opinion is based strictly off of using just about every clear wood sealer out on the market. And I'll tell you, the one that, that has really done the best for me is one from a small company up in Ohio called The Flood Company. The Flood Company. And they're available all over the United States, all kinds of different stores. Just, um, you know, do some Googling there to find out the closest store to you. And there is just a commercial feel to this product. It just seems to hold up better, work better. I've read all kinds of reviews, which are certainly glowing of the product. So I would look up flood product. Now, as far as spraying, not a bad idea, but you really need to back brush. it. It is so important to use a large brush. You can even go up to a six inch brush in situations like this. And you're basically, when you apply it, whether you're rolling it on or whether you're spraying it on, you really want to brush it down to force it down into the pores of the wood to make it last longer and look a lot better. Hey, going back to the hotline right now for another call we received this week. Yes, I have a front door that's approximately 70 years old already, but it's beginning to sag, and I need to be able to straighten it up. What's the best way to pull the front of the door up so it'll lock better? Well, Joe, this is something um, you know. You always have to be a little sympathetic here. Certainly, you can go in with, a like they do, the old farm gates, and put a little um, cabling <laughs> on the inside with a little turnbuckle and turn that thing. But that's not going to look real pretty. No. What's the possibility you think? You've done an awful lot of woodwork in these in this kind of category. Now, if you took the door off. And if you were able to see the little play that it may have, and to be able to straighten it back out, that may be a challenge, and maybe needing some clamps to accomplish that. But the first thing that comes to my mind is: it possible you think of possibly drilling in the end of the door uh, with a pretty aggressive bit and installing, let's say, a three-quarter inch dowel rod? Is that a possibility to strengthen those joints in there that are obviously starting to sag? What's your thoughts?
1: Well, that's what we're not. Sure. Sure. Right? Is the door itself coming apart or is it just sagging because the hinges are loose or something like that? So the first thing I would do, now this typically happens because the top of the door, either it's the hinges or the jam or something is, give way, is giving way and the door is starting to sag down. And that's why the lock, the, the lock set or whatever it is doesn't work properly. So I would open the door, grab the top edge of the door, like the edge furthest from the hinge and just push it and see if there's play in it. If that's the case, then you might be able to Um, have someone lift up that door for you and tighten up those hinge screws or replace them. What I would typically do is replace at least one or two of them with a nice long three-inch screw, drive right through. Hopefully you'll hit some solid wood back there and see if that holds the door up back into its original position. The other thing is you can put a block of wood against that jam and just tap it, actually hit it pretty hard with a mm-hmm. large hammer, see so if you can drive that jam back, because sometimes mm-hmm. those would be loosened but loosen up and sag too. So this is assuming the door itself hasn't come apart. If that's the case, then as Danny suggests, you have to take it down and you know glue it and you know clamp it and hopefully it'll hold together. But I suspect, Danny, it's not the door as much as it's just sagging in that opening.
0: Yeah, very easily could be. Hey, a little trick there you might, may have never thought about using a tool like this on a project like this. What's that? A regular shovel. you just uh, use it for leverage at the end of the, and you still may want to get somebody to help you. But since right. the door, um, you know, a lot of times you'll want to make sure that it's near closed. You can nearly close it, put the shovel under the end opposite of the hinges, and to lift it up, you'll be That's able to idea. tail very yeah. easily without, you know, um, it's, it's just a lot better leverage and a lot easier on the back. Let's go back to the hotline for another call. Hi, my name's Kurt. I've got A house built on
1: concrete blocks in about 1958 or 60 and there's some places where the inside wall of the concrete blocks down in the basement is kind of crumbly scares me I don't have that with all the bricks but uh, well there's enough concrete blocks down there that are messed up it does detract from the appearance and I'm kind of concerned about the future And what do I do to fix this? I'm sure this is something you covered on your show countless times, but here's one more. I appreciate your
0: show. All right. Well, thank you very much for calling, Kurt. And, yeah, it can be a little um, disconcerting when you look there and you see um, different um, blocks crumbling like that. You want to make sure that it's not an ongoing problem and is not present in a lot of different areas that can cause potential foundation issues. But, Joe, you know, I remember seeing um, some information um, about a Quikrete product right. that uh, their scientists proved that you could stack dry stack blocks on top of one another, yeah. Yeah. put this material on the outside. Outside. I want to say it's called like sure wall or something like that yeah, and you yeah. basically are just coating the outside of the wall not even an eighth of an inch thick and they claim that is as strong as actually using a brick mason to uh, mortar up all of the joints and that kind of thing so uh, it's interesting in a situation like this it may be an alternative of uh, solution to that that if it's just a little bit of collapse or failure here and there it could be because of its strengthening of it it could be a way to cosmetically make make it a lot better and certainly uh, shore up the strength of it. But this is no simple little project here.
1: Yeah, that that works great when there are cracks or some settling issues. But he's saying it's kind of crumbling, meaning the block itself is crumbling, in which case, I think you need, we don't know how many of these, I suspect there's only a few of these. The only solution for that is to replace them. They'd have to replace those blocks. I'm not sure... Um, I guess you could try scraping out any of the loose material and patching it with like a hydraulic cement or something like that. But he said, you know, I'm concerned about the future and it scares me. Yeah. It would scare me too. My house was sitting on oh, blocks yeah. that are crumbling. Yeah, That's why absolutely. I can't, I know they do this all over the country, but I would never build a house on concrete blocks. You can get poured concrete. What do you yeah. p- using blocks uh-huh. for? I don't understand it. But in any case, um, yeah, I may have to replace any of the crumbling ones. Certainly.
0: Hey, coming up, we're going to be talking about ceramic tile. We talk about ceramic tile a lot. Should you always tear it up before you put your new floor down? There are a number of conditions there. And yes, it is always better to take it down, but there are a few hints and a few tricks and maybe even a few tools to rent that will make it a lot easier. We'll tell you all about it right here on today's Home on the Radio. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: Today's homeowner is brought to you by PaveStone, creating beautiful landscapes. And by Quickrete Cement and Concrete Products. It's what America's made of.
0: And welcome back to the Today's Homeowner Radio Show. Believe it or not, the next to the last show. Yes, we're going to go off the air uh, at the end of the year, and it has been a fantastic time. And next week is going to be a really fun last show. We're going to laugh and cut up and reminisce a little bit, and we certainly hope you can join us, especially you that are listening on WZ. X-I-A-M 1280 in Lancaster, Kentucky. Hello to all of you there and hope that you're able to to tune in. Merry Christmas to all of you. Hope you're having a, a great Christmas and we're trying to uh, continue providing the home improvement information for you, even though we all are in a little bit of a festive mood and enjoying uh, the holidays here and getting ready for a great Christmas. Let's go right to our emails right now. We want to answer as many of these as we can with the time we have with you. And this ca- uh, came in from Florida. Lisa's asking, my A mid century home that was built in 1973 has a tiled floor in the single Garage. That's a little unusual. We yeah. think this was done back in the 80s. Now the tile is now starting to lift and shift a bit. We need to take up the tile, remove the grout, and I need some guidance on removing the grout and getting back to the original concrete that is emerging. I'm thinking of doing some type of epoxy finish, but and I need your thoughts on the best finish and how to prep the concrete. Well, there is a little bit of work ahead of you, but head on down to Home Depot rental and talk to them about a tile removal machine. Now, this is probably one of the loudest machines in America. <laughs> yeah. um, I had heard, uh, Joe, you know, it's a very heavy machine, but I'd heard that it was originally invented to help roofers um, uh, take the shingles, the asphalt shingles right. off the roof, which is, can be a challenge if it's nailed the way it should be nailed. And uh, But I can't imagine that. This thing must weigh 90 pounds, you know. How do you uh, get it on the roof? E- exactly. So and I how think do you that, not
1: drive it off
0: the roof? Exactly. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that, but but I think it maybe fell down off the roof next to a ceramic tile contractor, (laughs) and he said, I've been in here for two days trying to get this uh, ceramic up. Maybe that's the answer. So uh, either way, you can look for a tile um, uh, removal type tool like that. Make sure you have some ear protection, eye protection. Go ahead and get that dust mask out. And uh, it is pretty amazing. It basically will get right down on the slab and just release all of the tile and yep. many times if you're really lucky all of the um the tile set the mortar too yeah. but um uh, I mean, it can be quite a challenge and a bit unusual having it uh, in an outside garage yeah. area like
1: that. Yeah, Lisa mentioned she wants to remove the tile and the grout. I think she meant the tile and the mortar underneath it, because the grout's uh-huh. going to obviously pop up with the tile. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I would rent that a machine like that, or even a chipping hammer with a wide chisel blade, and you'll see those; those will just pop right up. And as far as the the mortar below, um, if if you can't just scrape it up with one of these tools, then you do make. Um, concrete grinders which is basically like it almost looks like um, an orbital sander you'd, you'd sand a floor a wooden floor with but it just grinds the concrete and that would take it right off it's meant for grinding actual humps and concrete so the mortar that's left behind would be no challenge at all it would it, i would think in a single car garage it wouldn't take you more than half an hour to to smooth it all out and then remove all that dust and need to be ready for the
0: epoxy that she wants Okay, here's another, actually, a, another tile uh, question, and oh, I yep. might mention uh, you really need to head over to Amazon.com. Check out Joe Truini's fantastic tile book. It's been an amazing success and available right now, and it really takes a good straightforward look at um, all kinds of tile jobs and and the, doing it the right way without a lot of fluff, straightforward, and uh, so just go to Amazon.com and uh, order it right away. Uh, author Joe Truini. Joe, Thank this you, one Danny. talks about yes. a old, uh, actually another Joe from uh, Saint Paul, Minnesota, saying: Two years ago, we had new tile floors professionally installed in our master bathroom. A few weeks ago, I noticed small smears of hardened grout on top of some of the tiles. The grout is the same color as the tiles and is very rough and raspy. How can I remove the hardened grout without scratching the tiles? Someone got in a bit of a hurry, yeah. didn't they, Joe?
1: Yeah, we often say you, know, you have to be really careful because. That grout will dry on anything, including the top of the tiles. And they do make, actually, they make a grout release uh, liquid that you can pour on there. Um, But what I would first try is, um, now this was a few weeks ago. Yeah, so it's probably fully cured. Um, If it's not fully cured, sometimes you can just pour hot boiling water on it, wait a few minutes, and then scrape it off with like a putty knife or something like that. Um, You might have to try scrubbing it off with either a little steel wool, 4-0 steel wool, Or if that doesn't work, then you can get, it's called, um, it's called, I'll spell it out, but it's Sulfamic. So it's S-U-L-F-A-M-I-C. It's an acid cleaner. I know custom building products makes one. Mm -hmm. And you you mix it, um, you mix it in a bucket and you pour it on the hardened grout. You wait 15 or 20 minutes, make sure it stays wet, and then you can brush it or scrape it off. I would try one of the other techniques first before going out and buying this acid cleaner. But that Like I said, this is a common enough problem that they do make. Custom building products does make this acid cleaner
0: for the grout. Hey, Joe, here's an interesting one that um, I've never uh, thought about it and actually been in this situation, but uh, it's kind of interesting. Scott from Athens, Georgia says, I want to add a closet to the existing finished bonus room that's above our garage. However, the room has radiant floor heat below the hardwood flooring. How Hmm. do I fasten the closet wall frame to the floor. I don't want to nail or screw into the hot water tube. No, you <laughs> you do not want to do that. Uh, do you think construction adhesive alone is strong enough? Oh, that is very interesting. Um, well,
1: there's some pretty amazing construction adhesives these days. Well,
0: I, I, I'll tell you what, I have used it a lot in a situation like that. And of course, we don't know if it's a hydronic system or one that's actually a mat under the Well, he plywood. said hot water
1: tubes. So that's hygienic, yeah. So yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. so that um, a lot of times that is actually embedded in the three-quarter inch subfloor. Yeah. And you know, grooved out through that would make it very, very dangerous putting that in. I'll have to say that uh if um that uh construction adhesive, I would use a good tight bond product, their professional construction adhesive. Yeah. Put it in place, um, and but I would still think of some carefully screwed in nails that basically would go through the two by four plate right. and and then depending on how thick that floor is below it, let's right. say it's three eighths of an inch thick. Thick, let it go into it three-eighths of an inch just to kind of snug it down a little bit and to really grip that adhesive really well. But boy, that uh, take it, taking it from someone that has torn a lot of closets out of there, construction adhesive will hold pretty darn well if you use it.
1: Yeah, if, that, that's right. You have to find out how thick that flooring is, that wood flooring. And I would go, I wouldn't go that far if it's three-eighths of an inch thick. I wouldn't go down three-eighths. I'd go halfway in. I suspect it's probably, if it's engineered wood, it's probably, you know, 5 eighth inch thick. If it's solid hardwood, it's three-quarter inch thick. So I would put in just a very limited number of screws to hold the, the wall plate in place and go like halfway through that wooden floor. I wouldn't take any chances. and be really careful driving those screws because you don't want to put too much torque on them where they suddenly go halfway through yeah, the two-by-four. Right.
0: Yeah, that's right. Because
1: if you hit, like Danny said, if you hit one of those water tubes, I, mean, I don't even know what, then you might as well just sell the house and move at that point. I <laughs>
0: Just walk out the door.
1: Turn off the water and just right. throw the keys yeah. over
0: your shoulder and just keep <laughs> on walking. <laughs> That's terrible, terrible advice. Terrible. <laughs> but but we feel like construction adhesive and a few screws, you'll be good. Joe, here's one for you, real quick. Mike okay. from uh New York is asking, There's a lot of icicles hanging from my roof. Why is this happening and why do they appear on some areas of the roof and not others? Could they be caused by poor insulation in the attic? Uh, Joe, I don't have a lot of experience with I don't have a lot of icicles. Really? I have some uh, pine needles hanging off the roof, but I don't have many <laughs> icicles. So what would you do?
1: Yeah. Icicles typically form when s- snow on your roof melts and comes on and refreezes as it attempts to flow off of the roof. Because of course, the eave of the house is sticking out past the sidewall of the house and it's very cold under there. So it freezes. Um And it's often poor insulation and poor ventilation inside the attic, that causes more of the snow to melt and that can form ice dams. So there's lots of reasons, um, you know, to increase the ventilation, increase the insulation in your attic, make sure the soft vents aren't blocked on the inside with insulation. Sometimes people jam the insulation so thick, so deeply into the end of the house there that they block the flow of ventilation. So you can always remove the snow with a roof rate, but increasing ventilation and insulation is really key to keep those icicles from forming.
0: Hey, okay, coming up here on today's Homeowner Radio, we're going to talk about screening. Coming up on today's Homeowner Radio. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back to today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe.
0: Hey, we want to get right to more emails. We've got a lot of emails that, we, that we're trying to get all taken care of since uh, this is our next to last uh, radio show. We want to make sure that we don't leave any unfinished business. We're going to answer one from Benny in Mississippi right now. I, I have an old 1890s home we renovated, and we added a wraparound porch on the south side with the fireplace. Boy, that sounds nice. Yeah, It has 12-foot ceilings, and we maintain this on the porch as well. The opening is about 12-foot high and 17-foot wide. We have an open and pecan trees just south of the house, so we leave and rain on the sitting area of the porch. Is there a supplier that can provide pricing for either automatic or manual roll-up wind curtains, uh, screen material for this particular area? And there's an additional eight-foot-high area that I may also consider. Hmm. Well, you know, one of the things when you have either the motorized screen type of roll down that you just push a button and it rolls right down, or you have the sliding type, you have a large availability of screens that you can pick. And you might be surprised at the density of a lot of the screens. Um, I actually have screens on my house that are what we call 92% filtration screens. So only 8% of air flows in and out because I'm not mm-hmm. interested in keeping, you know, I'm, I'm only interested in keeping the bugs out and also providing a curtain that I can actually heat and cool that. area that it encloses. But I think in this case, uh, Benny, what you should do is contact wizardscreens.com. Uh, It's a company I've dealt with for many, many years. They have distributors all over North America. You can find one uh, close by you. I'm sure they can come out and advise you uh, which type of screen that might work for you. And also, they'll have a selection of the screen, different types that are also uh, available. But um, you might be surprised how often you end up using it. I know with mine, I'm blocking sun. I'm keeping the bugs out. I'm heating and cooling the place and use it all the time. Again, wizard Screens. Dot com. Joe, we have one here from you for Appleton, Wisconsin. Carlton's asking in. I installed 10 LED recessed lights in our dining room. Each light is rated at 12 watts. They're controlled by a 150-watt LED three-way dimmer switch. The problem is the lights flicker when turned on. I replaced a 150-watt switch with 300-watt dimmer, but the lights still flicker. What is happening? Can you point them in the right direction there? Because mm. that used to happen a lot with LED lights, but right. I thought... They kind of uh, gotten past all of that, but obviously not.
1: Obviously not. No, I don't think switching to a 300 watt dimmer would really help. And I'm not exactly sure why this is happening in this home, but I do know because we've answered a similar question in the past that when LEDs flicker it's, or or sometimes will just dim and then brighten up again, um, it's often caused by f- uh, voltage fluctuations in the wiring system in the house. And the changes in voltage occur when electrical load turns on or off, you know, like when a refrigerator kicks on or um, a clothes dryer, something that draws a lot of um, watts or a lot of volts, it causes that voltage drop. Um, and plus LEDs, um, I'm not sure the very newest ones have this, but they're they're operated by electronic, what they call electronic drivers, and they're susceptible to what, they, what electricians call noise, which, again, is the voltage fluctuations. So, okay, let's say it's a fluctuation in voltage. What do you do about that? Well, that I'm not sure since I'm not a licensed electrician, but I can tell you I know that voltage fluctuations do cause this kind of problem in LEDs. So he's going to have to – I would call a licensed electrician, have him come in and say, I think this is what the problem is, and let him tell you if you're correct or not and what you can do about that.
0: Yeah, I think so, and I'm sure it's a common thing they're dealing with just about – sure all yep. the time. Here's another email from Massachusetts. Mary Ann's asking, hi, Danny and Joe. My husband is making some decorative holiday wreaths out of plywood, which I'll then paint and decorate. He's having a little trouble cutting perfectly round circles. <laughs> and I remembered you shared a simple solution using a yardstick as a circle cutting guide. Could you please repeat this tip? And thanks. And I'm so sorry to hear that you and Joe are going off the air, but wish you both a very happy retirement. Actually, <laughs> it's just me that's retiring. Joe. Joe Silk uh, has a lot of irons in the fire and we'll be hanging in there. But, Joe, on You're this one, I'm taking I re- me with you. No, I told no, Marla you, you
1: were taking me with
0: you. No, you, you, you fish all the time. Oh, all you want to it. do is fish. He doesn't you know? want
1: me catching more fish than
0: <laughs> he's those are my fish. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, the using the uh, the old um, wooden yardstick and everything, yes. I, I remember uh, you telling everybody about it, and and actually have used this uh, very successfully.
1: Yeah, we did. We shot a simple solution of it, which you can find online on the video. But it's it's basically what Marianne's referring to is you take a, a yardstick. And often people would use a string, right? A pencil on the end of a string, and the string is screwed to the middle of a plywood. But the problem is when you swing it around there, you have to keep the string really tight and strings will stretch. And so when you come all the way around it, suddenly the two lines don't meet up at the end. So, you know, don't use a string. That's the reason the, the uh, yardstick works so well because of course it's rigid. And you basically just drill two holes in it. One is the pivot point where a screw or nail goes through and the other is a hole for the pencil. And so you drill the holes. So let's say you want to drill a 20 inch diameter circle. You drill one hole at the 11 inch graduation and one at the one inch graduation, you know, so they're 10 inches apart. That's the radius. You screw it in place and you put the pencil in the hole and you just swing it around. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason that works so well, again, is that the yardstick will stay nice and flat and rigid and you get a really accurate circle. And if that doesn't work, just hit your husband with the egg,
0: <laughs> or get the garbage can lid. Okay, just get your garbage can lid and draw, <laughs> draw a circle around it. That works as well. But, uh, but, but uh, speaking of string, I'm about to yeah. put out my string presents that I learned from a friend of mine, that? Uh, that a mutual friend of ours, a Paul String up in Connecticut, um, used to do this with his daughters, and I d- I've done this for many, many years, especially when the kids are young. So what I do is I take a, a string and I put it inside a little. Um, uh, wrapped present, and I right. make sure that it's the last one you can grab right at the very bottom. I take the string, run it out a window or a door, hiding it under um, any of the, um, the throw rugs and that kind of thing, right. discreetly having it go outside. Then right around the corner, the string leads you to Four little presents for all four of the grandkids that will be here. Oh, that's good. Um, my my grand, um, well, hopefully five, but the the number five is little bitty and not walking, so I doubt it will be tromping around outside. But at each little stop, and I, and I have that string running all the way outside, through the bushes, over wow. by the pool, drop off the other side, and all along the way there's little presents for them to pick out. Now, see, at this time they're already got all their presents. They're sitting around playing, and I go, wait a minute. Isn't there one more under there? And then, of course, they'll grab it. They'll find a string. They'll get excited. So nice little traditions like that, I think, are always cool to keep going. And even when you think the kids are tired of them and, you know, that they've, um, you know, kind of just have done that and been there well you're wrong. They'll right. love, they'll they'll keep doing it. As long as they're getting free stuff and a little little chocolate <laughs> along the way, uh, they're going to still get excited about it each it's and It's a good every
1: way year. to get the kids out of the house, too.
0: That's right. And you get them out of the house so that you can clean up a little bit. Get the Because li- we usually use a leaf blower. We just open the door and then we just blow things out. That blow the it, kids out of the house? That makes it a little bit easier. We're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to uh, try to take care of a lot more emails for you. You're listening to today's Home on the Radio.
1: Today's homeowner is brought to you by Deitch Coatings. Easily roll on your new stone countertop, garage floor, and more in just a weekend with Deitch.
0: Hey, Merry Christmas from all of us here at the today's Homeowner Radio Show. Hope your weekend and your holidays are going very, very nicely. Joe, you know, one thing, um, um, kind of cleaning up around uh, the office a little bit, I found yep. a lot of old blueprints. You know, you you build a project, you always want to hold on to it one set, but, you know, sure. usually you have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten sets, um, you know, um, and what do you do with them? Well, wrap Christmas presents. That's well, what that's I smart. do. I don't even have to put on it, who's it from? They go, oh, <laughs> Uncle Danny's got got some blueprints out of the garbage again and wrapped up presents for us. That's so. smart recycling, though. Oh, I think so. And, and it's kind of cool. It's kind of uh, indicative of how I've made my life and, and sure. what I've done in my whole life. There's uh, always blueprints nearby somewhere, and I would rather use them for wrapping paper instead of throwing them away or that's burning right. them or anything along those lines. We're getting right to some emails right now from Marty in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Last year, we had our 1970s ranch home resided with fiber cement siding. We love the siding, except that squirrels started chewing on the corner boards and bottom edge of the first two courses of siding. I'm not sure why they're attracted to this siding. I can't imagine it tastes very good. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, yeah, I, not. I, I doubt pine cones really taste that well Anyway, either. But um, anyway, how can I stop these critters before they chew up my whole House, I'm not no. sure. I've heard, uh, you know, a lot of times when you see like lead jacks on roofs being chewed up by yeah. squirrels, you always hear people talking about they're just trying to sharpen their teeth. Uh, and, and I guess that would happen if you were grinding away chewing a fiber cement siding. But I, uh, i I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if something's on there that's attracting them to that more so than just plain fiber cement.
1: That's exactly right, Dan. I once wrote an article answering this question, and I I had no idea, so I contacted James Hardy, the largest manufacturer of fiber cement siding, and that's what they said. They said they've had reports of squirrels chewing on the siding, and they said that they are probably juveniles who, you know, the young squirrels, and they're sharpening their teeth by chewing on hard materials. I guess that's what they ordinarily do. I know mice do that as well, and so they chew on the fiber cement siding. Like, okay, so what's the option? James Hardy said is if you have any fiber cement left over, make a small box out of it and just leave it near the house. And hopefully the squirrels will go there um, and not bother the house anymore. You can also, they do make repellent sprays specifically for squirrels. I think there's one called Squirrel Stopper or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the the last resort, you could trap them and try relocating them. But because they're young squirrels, I suspect this behavior is going to end within a few months anyway. But now what do you do with the siding? Yeah. Kind of patch it and with bondo and paint it or do you replace it? I mean, I'm not sure, but um, I suspect that's just young squirrels and they'll, they'll stop shortly.
0: That's right, exactly. And um, you can go online it's at todayshumwater.com and find out exactly how to replace any of the siding pieces that uh, you might uh, not be able to patch and want to right. go ahead and repair. It's fairly easy. We're going to go to Hot Springs, Arkansas right now. Cheryl um, is uh, sending an email. Hi, Danny and Joe. I recently covered my flower beds with a thick layer of pine straw. My neighbor says that you shouldn't use pine straw as mulch because it attracts termite. Is that true? And if it is, what should I use instead? Oh, I hope they don't attract termites because I think. Uh-oh, is that what I you think- have? I think regionally, um, you know, more pine straw is used in the southeast than uh, probably anywhere else because of our abundance of pine trees. Right. And it's amazing what it looks like. I mean, coming from someone like myself that lived in a, um, a, a two and a half acre lot with about 283 pine trees on it. Wow. Um, I have raked and burned millions of dollars worth of pine straw <laughs> in in today's if market. If only you so, yes. so, uh, so I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Are they, are they proving that uh, it does Attract? Yeah, well,
1: it doesn't attract them because termites usually are attracted to things they can eat and get some nutrition out of, and they can't get any, they can't extract any nutrition from Pine Strong because there's nothing in it. But the reason it might attract them is that it traps moisture, of course, and that. You know, in in the the any bug for the most part, but termites are attracted to moisture and they get protection. It's you know, it keeps the ground warm and moist. So it's not so much that it's the it, that it's the pine straw that's attracting. It's just that there's something on the ground that's keeping the soil moist and and um, warm. So that might be it. So, you know, would any uh, mulch attract them? I mean, I'm guessing so. So you don't want to put mulch that they will then eat and stay nice and warm. Um, so I'm not sure what to tell them. I guess you could put out put out those traps to kill the termites, right?
0: Uh- I tell you, well, that de- definitely um, need the um, the perimeter traps for right. termites. extremely important no matter where you live. Um, but, you know, some of the recycled tires are very interesting mm-hmm. in that it does not float off. It does not deteriorate. It it, it, it holds its color for about 10 years. Uh, yes, it's about twice as much as regular mulch, but you, you start thinking about how long it'll last and what it costs to get it all put out. It might make a lot of sense to make that switch, and it's more realistic looking now than I've ever seen. So might be something to consider, and I can guarantee you termites won't be chewing on those old rubber tires. Hey, coming up next, it's Simple Solution Time. You're going to want to hear this one, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to today's Homeowner Radio.
1: Today's Homeowner is brought to you by Fluidmaster. Find out more at shop.fluidmaster.com.
0: And welcome back to the Today's Homeowner Radio Show. A few more minutes left. Plenty of time for Joe to share with us yet another great simple solution. What do you have for us, Joe?
1: All right, Danny. There are many times when you're using a machine bolt. And a machine bolt is simply a like a threaded rod or a carriage bolt, anything that, that has machine threads that are, that accept a nut, a hex nut. There's often you have to shorten it because, you know, it's too long or, it's, or you, instead of going out and buying a, if you have a long one, instead of buying a short one, you can just cut it off. You can use a hacksaw or a metal cutting blade on a, um, a jigsaw. But if you just cut it, you might find that you can't get the nut back on because the end of the threads are all messed up where you just cut it. So here's the simple solution. Before you cut it, thread two hex nuts onto the bolt. Now, you often hear this tip where they say you only have the thread on one, but I'll explain why you need two. So thread two of the nuts on, and then make the cut. And again, you can use a hacksaw or a jigsaw or even a multi-tool, anything that cuts metal. Cut it. Don't worry. You're trying to cut it as square as possible, but don't, you know, just don't worry about it too much. Just cut it. And then spin off the nuts one at a time. And you can usually spin them off by hand, but if not, then you have to use a wrench because the, and the, the threads are a little, you know, bent over and stuff, so you might need a wrench. And the reason that you use... Two is because if you do one nut, I've discovered that they don't always recut all the threads, and then you can't get the nut back on. So you spin off one nut, then you spin off the second one, and that will definitely straighten out any threads that were damaged by the cutting process. And then... You can use it, you know. Put it, install the bolt, put on a washer if you need to, and then you'll see that the nut will go on. Because if you don't do this first, you'll never get that nut on a damaged, gonna I was
0: going to say the same thing that uh, if you are in this kind of situation, doing that, follow this simple solution. It'll certainly save you a lot of a lot of headaches because uh, this definitely works. I've used it myself. Another good one, Joe. Um, you Thank can go you. To Today is homeowner slash simple solutions and view over five hundred and fifty of. These on video, um, Joe. Now uh, it's a holiday season here at Christmas time. Everybody has different um, type of um, traditions. Sometimes sure. they don't know why they do what they do, but they've always been <laughs> doing that, so they do it again. But um, but what about opening presents? Are you um, Christmas Eve or are you Christmas morning?
1: Well, I often don't know what I'm doing, no matter whether that's a holiday or not. <laughs> but we, I grew up. The tradition for us was, which I think is pretty typical, right? I've never really thought about it that, that much, but you open them Christmas morning. There was something, of course, as a kid, it's very magical. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. wife, Marla, grew up in New York City. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but her family, she's one of seven. Um, mm-hmm. But they always celebrated the opening of the gifts on Christmas Eve. And I never, when I first, um, when we first started dating and I'd go over to the house, I never understood why they do it Christmas Eve, but they'd go to mass and get back to the house, you know, it'd be late, it'd be like midnight. Um And then we'd start opening gifts. So um, I assume you do it in the morning, right? Christmas morning?
0: Oh, yeah. That Christmas morning and waking up and having to stay in bed a certain amount of time when when your eyes are opening and your heart is beating and you can't imagine what's going to be out in the living room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's quite a tradition. But Sharon's um, parents um, would always let them open just one. On um, Christmas would, Eve? Yeah, the parents, yeah, after mass they yeah. would come back and they would uh, just just only one, and the parents would pick which one that is so that they're not, right. you know, um, maybe opening one that will tip someone else off. And so they would always open that one, and they were content. So I think that's kind of like, I don't know, that's probably a bad analogy, throwing a, uh, a bone to a dog, you know, <laughs> <you> trying to <laughs> calm down a little bit. Up. Yeah, yeah. Get, just, just calm down a little bit here. You'll get the rest of the food in the morning. Um, but we uh, love those traditions and certainly hope that uh, everything's working out well with your Christmas. This is our next to the last uh, radio show. Um, Today's Homeowner Radio. Next week will be our final show. So I hope you'll come back and be with us and uh, watch us as we wind up this phenomenal journey that we've been on. A lot of things to talk about, a lot of stories to tell. We're going to laugh and cut up and maybe even drink a little champagne once we sign off after all of that because it has been a, a wonderful journey thanks to all of you that listen to us each and every week. I'm Danny Lipford along with my buddy, Joe Truini, our great producers, engineers, Scott Gardner and Brad Rogers, and the whole Today's Homeowner team, hoping you have a fantastic Christmas and come back and be with us next week as we wrap up today's Homeowner radio show. We'll see you then.